Hey there, and welcome to the United Church Podcast. We are a new church here in Seattle committed to an ethic of love. We are striving to be a people united, united with Jesus, each other, ourselves, and the world around us. We hope you enjoy this week's homily. Well, we've been continuing, and we started with a series uh, back in April, and we're continuing on. It's just called God Of. And this series is based on who is this Jesus that we purport to follow. We, we, we talk about how God is a God of grace. We talked about how God is a God of love. God is a God of mercy. God is a God of healing. And today we're beginning with this idea that God is a God of power. That this Jesus is actually a Jesus filled with and full of power that manifests itself in some really remarkable and even some kind of strange ways. So as we jump into this, uh, this idea of God of power this morning, let's take a moment and just pray. God, thank you so much for your son. Thank you for the example that he is for us, but also that it was recorded for us to see, to listen, to know, to hear, and to, to attempt to not only see these things, but, but become them more and more. So Father, may we continue to see this Jesus, and may we continue to become more and more like him, taking on the image of Christ in our own lives and in our own beings and in our own bodies. Father, may you continue to shape us and mold us and stretch us and push us in ways that uh, we might not be necessarily comfortable with, but, but are good for us. So, Father, we submit ourselves to you this morning in this, this word from your spirit, this word from your word. And, Father, may you uh, change us more and more. It's in your son's name that we pray all of these things. Amen. When I was in college, we liked to sit around and tell ghost stories. Like just stupid, stupid ghost stories, right? Like we would, the, the goal was to attempt to scare the tar out of each other, right? Like just what can we do sitting around a table late at night, usually 12, 1, 2 in the morning, you know, on a weeknight when you had like a 7.30, 8 o'clock a.m. class and do everything that you could basically to, to stay up through the night to get to this point. Well, there was this one night that our friend Jay was, had us all gathered around the table in his room, and we had the lights out like we typically did because we were stupid, right? Like we were sophomores, just, just stupid sophomore college students. And Jay had the lights out, and he began to talk about, he said, the first line out of his mouth was, this isn't so much a ghost story as this is my story. We're like, <laughs> okay. This is weird. It's starting off a little strange, and you think, okay, is this really a ghost story? Is he really being truthful with us? Like, what, what's going on here? What is this thing? And, and Jay continued to talk about his life, and he said, I grew up in a pretty weird family. We weren't Christians. We didn't have anything going on, but, but we were open to everything and anything that was out there. And my parents encouraged us down this path to just explore anything and everything. And he said, I got really interested in like Eastern mysticism, Eastern sorts of religion, Eastern thought, and, and began to study this. And we were like, this is not a ghost story, bud. Like, we're here to get scared, right? Like, what, what are you doing here? And so one of, us, one of us chimed in, my roommate chimed in and was like, uh, how old were you? Right? Like, like, are you talking like this is like a 13-year-old kid studying Eastern mysticism, Eastern religion? Because I don't buy it, right? And he was like, oh, I was 16 years old. I was like, okay, that's a little bit more believable. Okay, maybe he's really telling a story. And another one of our friends, Patrick, kind of jumped in and said, 
I've known Justin since then. This is actually a really true story. And so like, you're like, oh, wait, what? Like, is this really, really true then? Like, oh, no, right? So he continues on, and he talks about how he began to explore all of the different things that you could do, how you could begin to control the reality and the shape of things around you. He said he even, like, dabbled in, like, witchcraft sort of stuff, and, like, he just went down every single sort of, like, religious sort of thing all around this idea of, like, how can I be the most powerful individual human being possible? And Jay said that, it got to the point where after studying these things and beginning to attempt some of them, after about a year, he started sitting down at a table with a candle right in front of him, focusing his mind right on that candle and attempting to blow it out without blowing it out, right? Like, I'm going to blow it out without going, we were like, what on earth is going on here? Like, what is, who is this dude, right? Like, he lives catty corner from me. <laughs> he said, it took him about three months. And after three months, he had focused his mind so much on it that he was blowing out the candle, like without blowing out the candle, right? And you're like, this is nuts. Like, what is going on? He then said, like, he started getting into other things where he started to think, like, well, maybe I could actually turn off and on the lights in the house, like in the room that I'm in with my mind. I, could, I can actually just focus on the light switch, and on it goes. And off it goes. And it started to work. Like he was literally flickering on and off the lights in his house. He said, well, well, maybe I don't need a remote control for the TV, right? Like TV on, off, TV changing channels kind of thing. And all of a sudden in my mind, I'm thinking like poltergeist, right? They're here, right? Like that sort of stuff. I'm like, so like what wasn't supposed to be a creepy story, maybe Jay thought it was going to be a creepy story because of the content of it, started to creep us out. Like, what is going on? And Patrick, his friend, was like, all oh, this stuff is really true, guys. Like, no kidding. And another one of the guys, Silas, who was also with him, was like, yeah, this stuff is really true. Like, he was doing this stuff in high school. Jay started talking about how his entire life started to morph and to change as all of these things started to happen. As he was able to start controlling the environment that was around him all with his mind, all with his mind. And, and here's the thing. I was in Bible college, right? Like, I went to Bible college. That's just what I did. And in Bible college, you don't talk about this sort of stuff. You talk about, like, you don't talk about these things. You talk about, like, theology, like, like deep theology. You talk about, like, authors and writers, and you debate everything, and you yell at each other for how stupid the other one is, right? Like, that's, that's the essence of Bible college, just yelling at one another. Uh, that's just kind of how it works. And we sat there around this, listening to these stories, just thinking, like, there is no way that this is true. There's no way that these sorts of things happen, that, that this was a manifest reality that was taking place around Jay. There's no way that there's a manifest reality. And Jay continued to talk more and more. It got deeper and deeper into the things that he was able to do, darker and darker and darker, until he said, it wasn't until I realized that what I was doing was I was calling upon the demonic in my life. I was asking them to do things for me. When I was emptying out my mind, I was, a, I was creating a vacuum, allowing for anything to enter in and for me to control whatever's around me. What? And immediately, like, my, my skepticism meter was, like, off the charts, right? I was like, you are 
full of junk. You're full of garbage. There is no way. Because immediately my mind shoots to the exorcist, right? Like the little girl, like she spits out pea soup, like it's beautiful, right? This beautiful stream of pea soup as her head spins around in like 360 degrees and like begins to like call out like these, like these voices from the pits of her belly, like, right? Like, no, like that's, that's, that's demonic like idea for me. Right, like the exorcist, or or, or the, the creepier one for me, even more so creepy than the exorcist was Fallen. I don't know if you've seen the movie Fallen with Denzel. Like, oh my goodness, like it's it's all like it's kind of like demonic possession kind of thing. Uh, this this demon takes over Denzel, and it's passed along by touch. Like the the demon would transfer to people by touch. Like it's super creepy. Like, but it's like, oh, it's just fiction. It's just all fictionalized ideas of this thing that we call the demonic, of this spiritual realm that's out there. And there is no way that this stuff happens. There was an author, a, a French literary author back in the 1800s uh, named Charles, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to butcher his name, Charles Baudelaire. And in The Generous Gambler, he said, the loveliest trick of the devil is to persuade you that he does not exist. Perhaps the more contemporary version is Kaiser Soze in The Usual Suspects when he says, the greatest trick the devil ever played was convincing the world that he doesn't exist. Same idea, same thought. They ripped off the gambler, right? This is still a great movie. But this idea that like, like all of this stuff, there's no way that this stuff happens. There's no way that this stuff exists in our reality because we're too smart for that. We're too brilliant for that. We have completely explained all of the supernatural away out of our life as much as possible because the rational mind does not allow for these kinds of explanations to take place in our world, which is what's so challenging about some of the stories in the Gospels about Jesus. Like when we explain all of this stuff away, when we, when we convince ourselves that this stuff just doesn't exist, it's not there in any way, shape, or form, it makes the stories in the Gospels, especially where Jesus is actually like wrestling with the demonic and casting out of demons, seem like a really interesting, strange story. It, it, it's become to such an extent that we try and rationalize it away with like psychology. Like, oh, it was a schizophrenic dude. And Jesus healed him of his schizophrenia. Not necessarily that there was actually some sort of demonic force at work there. It was just schizophrenia, and Jesus healed him of his schizophrenia right away. Right? Like, these are the, the ways in which we try and get this out of the way. Like, this, this, this supernatural kind of realm sort of stuff. We, we just want to push it away. So, in Luke chapter 8, we have this story of Jesus healing a demoniac. And what's really fascinating about this story is that it comes on the heels of Jesus calming the storm. So in Luke chapter 8, Jesus has just gotten on a boat and crossed the Sea of Galilee. He falls asleep and a giant swell hits the Sea of Galilee. Now the Sea of Galilee is not a small sea, okay? Like if you look at like a map of Israel and like where the Sea of Galilee is, it, it can look kind of small in relation to everything else that's around it. But the Sea of Galilee is actually like the size of Seattle. Right? Like it's a big, like it's a big sea. And so when they're crossing the Sea of Galilee on this boat, when they're crossing the Sea of Galilee on this thing and a big swell comes up, like they can't necessarily see from one side to the other. They can't see land from one side to the other quite necessarily. Okay, so here they are and this giant swell comes up. Jesus is asleep and the disciples flip out and they're like, Jesus, wake up. Ah! Right? And Jesus calms the storm. And their question to each other was, who is this man? Who is this guy? 
they dock their boat on the other side, get out of the boat, all 12 of them, Jesus making 13, they step out of the boat onto the shore and they're met by a demon-possessed man. Now this isn't just any demon-possessed man. This dude is naked, okay? Like the text says he is, he is naked. A naked, crazy man with chains around his wrists and around his ankles that are broken because they have attempted time and time again to subdue this man. They have done everything they can to, to like bind his hands, bind his feet, and actually attach him to other things so that he will leave the people in the town alone so that he won't terrorize them in any way, shape, or form. So they, they shackle this man. They keep him bound up as much as possible, but over and over again he breaks loose. Which makes me think, if this guy can break chains on both of his arms and his legs, if he can break a chain that is attached to like a rock or wrapped around a tree or whatever, like if he can be that strong, how many people did it take to subdue this guy? Right? Like how many people did it take to hold this guy down to get those chains around him? Now this town was completely terrified of this man. Hence why they shackled him up and shackled him to things. They were so freaked out by this guy. And here's this guy approaching Jesus, probably blathering like strange and crazy sorts of things. With these broken chains, he's naked, coming up to Jesus and the disciples. And if I'm a disciple, if I'm, I'm standing here, I'm like, whoa, what is this? Like, I don't know if I would have thought about Jesus like, back, Jesus, it's okay, we got this, right? Like, I don't think I would have been that. I think I would have been terrified. I've been like, Jesus just calmed that storm. Let's get behind him. Like, let's just hide be here. Get back, guys. Come on. Like, Jesus got this, right? Like, I, like the, he's just calmed the storm, and now you've got this dude approaching you that's naked and crazy. And the guy, like, in the text, the guy looks at Jesus, and he says, What do you want with me, Jesus? Son of the Most High God, I beg you, do not torture me. Now here's the thing. This guy approaches him and falls to the ground. He falls at Jesus' feet. This guy that is super powerful with the demon that is inside of him, like ripping chains, everything, like completely, falls down in front of Jesus and says, what do you want with me? Which makes me think, that as they're crossing to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, this guy just had this sense that Jesus was on a mission to get him. Right? What do you want with me? He knows Jesus' name. Jesus. He knows Jesus' position and title. Son of the Most High God. He knows these things inherently within himself. And he looks and he falls down and he's completely overwhelmed with what is about to take place. And Jesus looks at the man, and he says, what's your name? What's your name? Legion, he replies. Legion, which is basically like, this dude didn't just have like one demon in him. He was like top to bottom, full of demonic possession. Multiple demons with multiple names. Like, inhabiting this one man, hence all of the power. Now, what's so amazing about this story is that we think in terms of, like, like the, the, the sometimes when we allow our minds to work outside of our rational selves, 
right? And we begin to think a little bit more about like the supernatural and what's out there. Oftentimes, like we allow our minds to wander in such a way that we think like, oh, yeah, that spiritual realm, the, the, the demonic realm is actually pretty powerful. Like, like, that, like, like one demon, what is it capable of? What is it possible of? Like, like the power that is there in one. And here is this guy that has multiple. Like it's, it's legion. Like when uh, other words for legion, you use that in like armies, like soldiers, massive amounts of soldiers that are together in one place. So this is like a battalion, so to speak, a legion of soldiers for the demonic inhabiting this one man. What is your name? And they begged Jesus not to order them to go into the abyss. Don't send us back where we came from. They make a request. This most powerful force of demonics, here in this space, they make a request as they fall, which is like bowing before Jesus, right? They bow before Jesus. Don't send us back where we came from. They see this herd of pigs on the side of the land, and they, sit and, and they say, send us into the pigs. And Jesus sends them into the pigs, and they run off to the side, and the farmers are ticked off. They're like, what have you done? You've destroyed our entire livelihood. People are really upset. But, but then here's the thing. The townspeople are there. The townspeople, the people from this village are there seeing all of this unfold, which makes me wonder, maybe they were also expecting Jesus. Maybe they were also expecting him to arrive, and they came with a giant, like, greeting party, right? Banners and balloons, woo, noisemakers, like, like, just excited that Jesus is going to be there. And all of a sudden, they see all of this stuff unfold right in front of them. And they're like, get out. Go home. We don't want you around here. Like, you, that, what just happened right there is not supposed to happen. Like, you have completely transformed and changed everything that's going on right here, and what? We don't like this. Like, go home. Go. Out. Be gone. Shoo. Right? Like, the townspeople tell Jesus to go away because this man who was completely naked, who once was completely naked and talking like absurdities out of his mouth, now all of a sudden, he's clothed, he's normal, which makes me think like Jesus probably talked to one of the disciples like, get him some clothes. Let's, let's fix this guy up a little bit, right? Like, let's do this. And so, like, they, they, they clothe him, they wrap him up, and they take care of him. Like, clothing him is like a, an act of care here in this moment. And the townspeople see this and, like, that's not the same guy. That's not the guy that took out two of my brothers as they were trying to subdue him and get those chains on him. That's not the guy that broke this other guy's arm because he was flipping out, running like crazy all over town. Like, how did he go from that? Everything that we've ever known about this man, every story that we've ever told about this man, how did he go from that to normal in one fell swoop? Jesus, you got to go. You got to go. Because that kind of power, that kind of transformative power to subdue like this demonic presence here in this place, that freaks me out, and that freaks us out, and, and Jesus, you just got to go, and so Jesus left. He left them there, and, but, the, but the demoniac man was like, Jesus, like, can I go with you? Can we hang out some more? Because it's pretty cool, right? Like, you just healed me, and Jesus was like, eh, why don't you stay here? Why don't you be a testimony, a testament? Like, tell the story of what happened to you here in this place everywhere that you go all over the place. And he did. He's like, you got it. 
<laughs> yeah, yes, I will do that. And he drops everything and he goes and he shares this story of who this Jesus is. This man that he professed with his mouth while he was still a demoniac. Jesus, son of the most high God. He professes this and then he experiences radical transformation as if no one else has ever experienced, right? He experiences this and he moves on. In, in the book of Mark, chapter 5, there's a, another story of a demoniac who is healed by Jesus. And, and as Jesus approaches him, he says, I know who you are, son of the Most High God. I know who you are. What do you want with me? Right? Like, I, I imagine like a crooked finger, like, I know who you are. Right? Like, just like this really, ah. but But like, it's because the exorcism blazed in my mind, right? Ah. Uh, or, or Seinfeld, Lane. Um, Seinfeld's awesome. Anyhow, besides the point, this, this demoniac is like, he understands, he recognizes this power that is embodied in this Jesus standing right in front of him and wants nothing to do with it. The demoniac that is legion, the, 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 the legion of demons are there standing in front of this Jesus and says, I, how we get it. We get it. You want to send us home. We don't want to go back there. We would much rather live here on this planet where things are a little bit better than, a, than at home. Right? Like, keep us here. Save us from that. And Jesus, they understand, they recognize all of this power that is embodied in Jesus, and, they let, and Jesus lets them go. Who is this guy? The same question from the from the calming of the storm. Who is this guy? Who is this Jesus? What is he capable of? Is he truly this God of power? In a public debate back in 1954, C.S. Lewis said this. It's actually recorded um, in print. It said, there is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. In this world in which we inhabit, there is no neutral ground. Everywhere that we go, everything that we talk about, everything that is there, we want to debate the rational mind versus the supernatural mind. C.S. Lewis is saying, like, there's no neutral ground here. You're either on one side or the other. These two realms have collided into this place, and there is a war that is going on back and forth as each side tries to take more ground from the other. Back and forth it goes. It is not a silent, a silent war. It's not an imaginary war. It's not a war that is absent. It is a war that is very present and very real, a war that we have chosen to ignore or chosen to push aside. Perhaps a really good example of this would be like back in October of 2001, we started the longest war in American history that is still going today in Afghanistan, right? It's a war that we have kind of forgotten about that we don't really think about anymore. Like, didn't that end? But it's still going on. People are still dying. Over uh, almost 142,000 civilians and militants in the country of Afghanistan have been killed. There's 111,000 civilians to date, still going because of this war that continues to go on. And we've forgotten about it. We've pushed it aside and we go about our merry way because 
almost 17 years is a long time to remember this. Almost 17 years. Kids that are in high school were born after this thing started. Right? Like, it's easy to forget those things. It's easy to forget the wars that are going on, the wars that are raging, the wars that are present in our land that should take up more of our mind, but we go on. We move about our merry way and we push those sorts of things aside. And that's, that's what happens in this spiritual realm as we, we push it aside. Andy Crouch, in, in his book, Playing God, he talks, it's a book about power, about what power is. He says, indeed, we have used our power and our privilege to shield us from deeper, darker forces that the desert saints knew as demons, which have always been present to us, but do not make themselves known until we begin the pursuit of the disciplines. Basically, it's not until we begin to pursue who God is, it's not until we begin to understand who this Jesus is, that we begin to recognize more and more that this demonic force is present around us and in us, trying to do crazy things in our society, in our systems, and in our structures. That this power is really present, and we have used our power and our privilege to shield us. We have used our own position in society to shield us from what is actually happening in this world around us. When I was, it was probably about 12 years ago that I really came to understand the forces that were taking place. I, I was a pastor at a church and we were, uh, we always got like these really random people that would come through the doors uh, of, of the office. And I remember this one day, this one lady came through the doors and she said, hey, I, I would like to talk to, to Aaron a, a little bit about the things that are going on in my house. And our, our office administrator led, led her back to me and, and we, we began to have this conversation and she started to talk about how these weird things were taking place in her house. Like, like lights going on and off, doors slamming out of nowhere. It was just her and her daughter. Uh, the, the, ca the, the cabinets would open and close kind of thing. And just really creepy sort of stuff. She says, my house, my house is like uh, possessed. And I remember thinking like, this lady's done lost her mind. The rational mind says, this stuff doesn't happen, right? Like this, so I, I, said, I said, all right. Um, she, she shared her story with me and I, I kind of sat there and I was like, how about I just pray for you? How's that sound? She's like, yes, please, that would be great. And so we pray, and she comes back the next week like nothing has changed, right? Ugh, same rigmarole. I pray with her. I send her on her way. She comes back a third time. And, and, and in that moment, like, I'm like, this lady is crazy. How do I just get her out of my place? Like, how do I just not deal with this anymore? Because she's crazy. She's lost her mind. So I pray with her again, and I say, hey, if it... Um, if it happens again, why don't you go down the street to the Catholic Church? Because I know they do exorcisms. <laughs> right? Like, they still do exorcisms today. Why don't you go there? She was like, you think they would? <laughs> and I was like, yes. Yes, they would. They will totally take care of your house. Right? She comes back in again. I was like, they wouldn't talk to me because I, like the, the way in which the, the area that we lived, it was very secluded sort of parish system. And they just wouldn't talk to her because she wasn't a member of the church. 
And I was like, okay, this is what we'll do. I'll grab some of our elders. We'll go to her house. We'll just pray over the place and we'll leave. And then I can wash it all out of my system, right? Just be like, we did everything we could. I'm so sorry, right? Uh, why don't you go talk to this counselor, right? Like, so I had, I had those next steps put in my mind. And I remember walking into the house and in the back of my head, I had Jay's story like needling me, right? Like, like wait a minute. I remember what was happening. That's not going to happen here. And so we had these three elders, and we begin to walk into the house, and we stand in the living room, and we're like, so this is where we're going to pray. And she was like, let me, let me take you around to the things, that, and I can show you what was happening. I was like, no, nah, that's cool. We'll just pray right here. This would be good. This would be good. I was like, one of the elders brought, like, oil, and it was so, like, um, oil to kind of like, like bless the house kind of thing. And so he said, hold, hold on. He, he grabbed the oil. He did a little dip and he just drew a little cross above the, above the doorway kind of thing. And at that point, when he goes up there and he draws a cross on the doorway, a door in the back of the house closes. And I was like, is your daughter here? No, but they are. Oh, what? I'm like, then Jay's stories really begin to like, like needle in my head, right? Like I'm like, okay. I'm like, that's great. So we're going to just pray right here. And we begin to pray. So the five of us, the three elders, me and, and her, we're like in this circle holding hands. And all of a sudden, like as one of the elders begins to pray, we decided that what we we're going to do was like we would pray in a circle, right? One at a time, like not popcorn style where everybody prays at various points. We'll just do it very orderly in, in a circle, and then I would, I would wrap us up. The first elder begins to pray, and the cabinets start to move. And I'm like, okay, lights begin to flicker. And I've got my eyes like looking around. I'm like, what is going on? And we make our way around the circle, and it gets to me, and I've got nothing to say, right? I'm like, I don't even know how to pray this. So all of a sudden, my mind goes back to the, El to the exorcist. and the name of Christ, I command you to be gone. In the name of Christ. And I'm like, well, I wish I had some holy water. Like, I would be throwing it all over the places, all of this weird stuff. Like, literally, like, things are moving in the living room. A chair is beginning to push. Cabinets are beginning to open and shut. Lights are beginning to flicker. In the name of Jesus, I command you to be gone. In the name of Jesus, I command you to leave this place. In the name of Jesus, with the power of the blood of Christ, I command you to be gone over and over and over again until it stopped. Like it stopped. My pants were still dry, thankfully. It was the most frightening experience I'd ever had in my life as I stood there with these people in this room praying for some sort of exorcist in this place. That the power of Christ was something much more powerful than this crazy stuff that we were seeing in this house. And I prayed it over and over and over. I'd never been more scared. We, we went back the next day just to pray a blessing over the house. We went in the afternoon during lunch. We just went back and prayed a blessing over the house and over every single doorpost and every window. Like we just prayed and the elder with the oil like did crosses over every single one of them, right? All around the house and make sure that nothing like could slip in that way. I was like, are there any other entrances? Like you got a crawl space under there that we can just go bless? Like, I don't know, right? And she came back. And the thing that I didn't tell you was 
this woman was frazzled. When she first came into my office, like, she just looked crazy. Like, her hair was like, right? Like, was, like and it was deep, dark bags and circles under her eyes. Like, wrinkles that were just like the, the, the nights that she just could not sleep. The, 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 the stress of clenched fists and of clenched arms over and over. The next time I saw her, when she came to church that Sunday morning, she was a different person. Like her face was relaxed. Her body was relaxed. The dark circles were gone. She was, it, it was as if this demon that had been, or demons, I have no idea, that was in this place terrorizing her and her daughter had just left. And she was fine. That's the power of Jesus. This stuff still freaks me out. And it's so weird because the rational mind that I have at play in my own head says, this stuff doesn't exist. I don't want it to exist. I want it to not be real. But then when I look at the stories of Jesus and the things that took place there, I can't but, I can't but accept that it's reality. And when I stepped into that home, I can't accept but that that stuff is true, that that stuff is reality, that that stuff exists. And that my power and my privilege, I need to check that at the door to recognize that these sorts of things happen all around us all the time. That the systems and the structures within this world are oftentimes controlled by, by the systems of evil, by the, by the personification of evil in our city, in our society, in our place. And that we need to engage with that in a different way. And we need to look at the systems and the structures that, that organize and arrange our society. We need to look at them as something that may be controlled, not just by people, but by the demonic as well. And that it's our job to step into those places and say, in the name of Christ, by the blood of Christ, by the power of Christ, be gone. And that we need to engage the systems, the structures, and the realities of our own lives and of our own cities in a different way so that we too may be transformed, like the man or like the woman in the house, that we too may be transformed to see with eyes open and clearly what can be done and what we need to do to change this world around us. Father, thank you for your son. Thank you for the power that is present in him. Thank you for the power that we have access to because of your spirit and because of him. Father, we pray that in the craziness of this stuff, of the things that surround us and push and prod and pull, and Father, we pray that, that, you, would, that you would just transform our minds and our spirits and our souls in ways that allow us to see you more clearly, that allow us to engage with you more fully, and that through that we may see the power of your Son. It's in your son's precious name that we pray all of these things. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's homily. If you're in Seattle, we'd love for you to join us on Sundays at noon at 1316 3rd Avenue West in Queen Anne. If you'd like to support our efforts, please visit unitedchurch.gives to partner with us financially. Be in peace and God bless.